Chapter 8 Make the fault seems easy to correct. A bachelor friend of mine, about 40 years old, became engaged and his fiancé persuaded him to take some belated dancing lesson. The Lord knows I need dancing lesson, he confessed as he told me the story, for I danced just as I did when I first started 20 years ago. The first teacher I engaged probably told me the truth. She said I was all wrong. I would just have to forget everything and begin all over again. But that took the heart out of me. I had no incentives to go on, so I quit her. The next teacher may have been like, so I like it. She said nonchalantly that my dancing was a bit old-fashioned perhaps, but the fundamentals were all right. And she assured me I wouldn't have any trouble learning a few new steps. The first teacher had discouraged me by emphasizing my mistakes. This new teacher did the opposite. She kept praising the things I did right and minimizing my errors. You had a natural sense of rhythm, she assured me. You really are a natural born dancer. Now my common sense tells me that I always have been and always will be the fourth red dancer. Yet, deep in my heart, I still like to think that maybe she meant it to me. To be sure, I was paying her to say, but why bring that up? At any rate, I know I'm better dancer than I could have been if she hadn't told me. I had a natural sense of freedom that encouraged me, that gave me hope, that made me want to do improve. Tell your child, your spouse, or your employees that he or she is stupid or dumb at certain things, has no gift for it, and doing it is all wrong. You have destroyed almost every incentive to improve. To try to improve but use the opposite technique be liberal with your encouragement make the thing seem easy to do let other person know that you have faith in his ability to do that he has an undeveloped flair for it and he will practice until the down comes in the window in order to excel lowell thomas a superb artist in human relation used this technique he gave you confidence inspire you with courage and faith for example, I spent a weekend with Mr. and Mrs. Thomas and on Saturday night I was asked to sit on a friendly bridge game before a roaring fire. Bridge? Oh no no no, not me. I knew nothing about it. The game had always been a black mystery to me. No no, impossible. Why Dell? It is no trick at all, Lowell replied. replied. Theirs is nothing to bridge except memory and judgment. You have written articles on memory. Bridge will be clinched for you. It's right up your alley. And presto, almost before I realized that what I was doing, I found myself for the first time at the bridge table. All because I was told I had a natural flair for it and the game was made to seem easy. Speaking of bridge remind me of L.A. Culberstone, whose book on bridge had been translated into a dozen languages and have sold more than a million copies. Yet he told me he would never have been made a profession out of the game if a certain young woman hadn't assured him he had a flair for it. When he came to America in 1922, he tried to get a job teaching in philosophy and sociology, but he couldn't. Then he tried selling coal and he fell at that. Then he tried selling coffee and he fell at that too. He had played some bridge, but it had never occurred to him in those days that someday he would teach. He was not only a poor card player, but he was also a very stubborn. He was also very stubborn. He asked so many questions and held so many post-mortem examinations that 
no one wanted to play with him. Then he made a pretty bridge teacher, Josephine Dillon, fell in love and married her. She noticed how carefully he analyzed his card and persuaded him that he was a potential genius at the card table. It was that encouragement and that alone Culverstone told me that caused him to make a profession of the bridge. Clarence M. Jones, one of the instructors of our course in Cincinnati, Ohio, told how encouragement and making false seems easy to correct completely changed the life of his son. In 1970, my son David, who was then 15 years old, came to live in Cincinnati. He had led a rough life. In 1958, his head was cut open in a car accident, leaving, leaving a very bad scar on his forehead. In 1960, his mother and I divorced and he moved to Dallas, Texas with his mother. Until he was 15, he had spent most of his school years in special class for slow learners in the Dallas school system. Possibly because of the scare, school administration had decided he has brain injured and could not function at a normal level. He was two years behind this, his age group, so he was only in the seventh grade. Yet he did not know his multiplication table and added on his fingers and could barely read. There was one positive point. He loved to work on radio and TV sets. He wanted to become a TV technician. I encouraged this and pointed out that he needed maths to qualify for the training. I decided to help him become proficient in this subject. We obtained four sets of flashcards, multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction. As we went through the cards, we put the correct answer in this card stack. When David missed one, I gave him the correct answer and then put the card in the repeat stack until there was no card left. I made a big deal out of each card he got right, particularly if he had missed it previously. Each night we would go through the repeat stack until there was no card left. Each night we, tame, we timed the exercise with a stopwatch. I promised him that when he could get all the cards correct in 8 minutes with no incorrect answer, we would quit doing it every night. This seems an impossible goal to David. The first night took it 52 minutes, the second night took him 48 minutes, then 45, then 44. 41 and then under 40 minutes. We celebrated each reduction. I'd call in my wife and we would bring both hug him and we all would dance a jig. At the end of the month, he was doing all the cards perfectly in less than 8 minutes. When he was a small improvement, improvement he would ask to do again. He had made the fantastic discovery that learning was easy and fun. Naturally, he's great in algebra to get jump. It is amazing how much easier algebra is when you can multiply. He astonished himself by bringing home a B in math. That had never happened before. Other chances came with almost unbelievably rapidly. His reading improved rapidly and he began to use his natural talents in drawing. Later in school years, his teacher assigned him to develop an exhibit. He chose to develop a highly complex series of modules to demonstrate the effect of levers. It required skills not only in drawing and model making but in applied mathematics. The exhibit took first place in his school science first fair and was entered, entered in the city competition and won third prize for the city, entire city of Cincinnati. Wow, that's great, man. That did it. He was a kid who had flunked two grades, who had been told he was brain damaged, who had been called Frankenstein by his classmate and told his brains must be flicked out of the cut of his head. Suddenly, he discovered he could really learn and accomplish things. The result, 
from the last quarter of the eighth grade all the way through high school. He never failed to make honor roll. In high school, he was elected to the National Honor Society. Once he found learning was easy, his whole life changed. If you want to help others to improve, remember. Principle number eight, use encouragement, make the fault seems easy to correct. So now Derek, let's jump into chapter number nine. Chapter number number nine tells us making people glad to do what you want. Back in 1915, America was aghast. For more than a year, the nations of Europe have been slaughtering one ana- another on a scale of never before dreamed of in all the bloody animals of mankind. Could peace be brought about? No one knew. But Woodrow Wilson was determined to try. He would send a personal representative, a peace emissary, to counsel with the warlords of Europe. William Jennings Burien, Secretary of State Burien, the peace advocate, longed to go. He saw a chance to perform a great service and make his man name immortal. But Wilson appointed another man, his intimate friend and advisor, Colonel Edward M. House. And it was how Stoney talks to break the unwelcome news to Burian without giving him offense. Burian was distinctly disappointed when he heard I was to go to Europe as the peace emissary. Colonel House recorded in his diary. He said he had planned to do this himself. I replied that the president thought it would be unwise for anyone to do this officially and that would be going to attract a great deal of attentions and people would wonder how why he was there you see the intimidation intimation house practically told Burian that he was too important for the job and Burian was satisfied colonel house adroit experience in the way of the world was following one of the most important rules of human relations always make of the other person happy about doing the things you suggest Woodrow Wilson followed that policy even when inviting William Gibbs McAdoo to become a member of his cabinet. That was the highest honor he could confer upon anyone and yet Wilson extended the invitation to such a way as to make McAdoo feel doubly important. Here is the story in McAdoo's own word. He, Wilson, said that he was making up his cabinet and he would be very glad if I could accept a place in his secretary of the treasury. He had delightfully way of putting things. He secretly created the impression that he was accepting this great honor I would be doing him in a favor. Unfortunately, Wilson didn't always employ such doubt. If he had, history might have been different. For example, Wilson didn't make the Senate and the Republican Party happy by entering the United States in the League of Nations. Wilson refused to take such prominent Republican leaders as Elihu Ha or Elihu, sorry, I missed that pronunciation. Elihu, roots of Charles, Elihu, roots or Charles even hugs Hugis or Henry Cabot Lodge to the peace conference with him. Instead, he took along unknown men from his own party. He snubbed the Republicans, refused to let them feel that the League was their ideas as well as his, refused to let them have a finger in the pie and as a result of his crude handling of human relations, rig his own career, ruin his health, shorten his life, cause America to stay out of the league and alter his story of the world. Statesmen and diplomats aren't the only one who use this make a person happy to do things. You want them to do approach. Del O. Ferrier of Fort Wayne, Indiana told how he encouraged one of his young children to willingly do the core he was assigned. 
One of the Jeff's course was to pick up peers from under the peer tree so that the person who was improving underneath wouldn't have to stop to pick up them. He didn't like his score and frequently it was either not done at all or it was done so poorly that the mower had to stop and pick up several peers that he had missed. Rather than have a eyeball to eyeball confrontation about it one day, I said, I asked to him, Jeff, I will make a deal with you. For every bushel basket fulls of peers you picked up, I'll pay you one dollar. But after you are finished, for every peer I find left in the yard, I'll take away a dollar. How does that sound? As you would expect, he was not only pick up all the peers, but I have kept an eye on him to see that he couldn't pull a few of the trees to fill up some of the basket. I knew a man who had to refuse many invitations to speak, invitation extended by them, by friends, invitation coming from people to whom he was obligated, and yet he did it so adroitly that the other person was at least contented with his refusal. How did he do it? Not by merely talking about the fact that he was too busy and too this and too that. No, after expressing his appreciation of the invitation and regretting his inability to accept it, he suggested a substitute speaker. In other words, he didn't give the other person any time to feel unhappy about the refusal. He immediately changed other person's thought to some other speaker who could accept the invitation. Gunter Smith, who took our course in West Germany, told of an employee in the food store he managed who was negligible about putting the proper price tag on the shelves where the item was displayed. This caused confusions and customer complaints, reminders, admonition and confrontation with her about this this much not to this much not what the fuck about this not much to do good. Finally, Mr. Smith called her into the office and told her he was appointing her supervisor of price tech, proposing posting for the entire store and she would be responsible for keeping all of the sales properly tagged. This new responsibility and title changed her attitude completely and she fulfilled her duty satisfactorily from then on. Childish, perhaps, but that is what they say to Napoleon when he greeted the legion, legion of honor and distributed 15,000 crosses to his soldier and made 18 of his general marshal of France and called his troop the Grand Army. Napoleon was criticizing for giving toys to war-hardened veteran, veterans and Napoleon replied, men are ruled by toys. This technique of giving titles and authority worked for Napoleon and it will work for you. For example, a friend of mine, Mrs. Ernest Gant of Scardell, New York was troubled by boys running across and destroying her lawn. She tried criticism, she tried coaxing, neither worked, then she tried giving the worst sinner in the gang a title, a feeling of authority. She made, her, she made him her detective and put him in the charge of keeping all trespasses of her lawn. That solved her problem. Her detective built a bonfire in the backyard, heated an iron rod, and threatened to brand any boy who stepped on the lawn. The effective leader should keep the following guidelines in mind when it is considered to change attitude or behavior. The effective leader should keep the following guidelines in mind and why it is necessary to keep attitude or behavior. Be sincere. Do not promise anything that you cannot deliver. 
Forget about the benefits to yourself and concentrate on the benefits to the other person. Number two, know exactly what it is you want from the other person to do. Three, be empathetic. Ask yourself what it is the other person really wants. Consider four, consider the benefits that other person will receive from doing what you suggest. Five, match those benefits to other person one. Six, when you want a request put in a form that will convey to the other person the idea that he personally will benefit. We could give him a court orders like, John, we have customers coming in tomorrow and I need the stock room clean up. So swap it out, put the stock it need piles on the shelf and police the counter. Or we could expect the same ideas by showing John the benefits he will get from doing the tax. John, we have a job that should be completed right away. If it is done now, we won't be faced with it later. I'm bringing some customer in tomorrow to show our facilities. I would like, like to show them the stockroom, but it is in a poor shape. If you could swap it out, put the stock in the neat piles on the shelf and police the counter, it would make us look efficient and you will have done your part to provide a good company image. Will John be happy about doing what you suggest? Probably not very happy, but happier than if you had pointed out the benefits. Assuming you what assuming you know that John has pride in his way of stockroom looks and is interested in contributing to the company image, he will be more likely to be cooperative. It's also been pointed out to John that the job would have given him a done eventually and by doing it now. He won't be faced with it later. It's naive to believe you will always get a favorable reaction from others person when you use these approaches. But the experience of most people showed that you are more likely to change this attitude this way than by using this principle. And if you increase your success by even more than 10%, you have become 10% more effective as a leader than you were before and that is your benefit. People are more likely to do what you would like them to do when you see it. So the principle number 9 is make the other person happy about doing the things you suggest.